everyone. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio, featuring the crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 all-star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex. Yeah, he's like, he's like... What is he? He's like, uh, he's like, gurgle the balls, swallow the gravy. <laughs> Jack Black? Yeah, you remember that? He's like, he's like, can we, can we find he's like your, mother, your mother's a cankerous whore. And then, he's, and then a few seconds later, he's like, remember that time when I called your mother a cankerous whore? I'm really sorry about that. Can't make a movie like that again. Oh, oh, that's a funny God. movie. <laughs> One of my absolute favorites. <coughs> yeah, it's great. Oh. Uh, we need a f- Friday movie review, John. Ah, oh, we do. Tropic need. Thunder. Yeah, let's do it. Tropic Thunder. Mm. Mm. Did you mm. film it? Did you record it yesterday? No, I couldn't. Oh, do you couldn't do it without you. me. Okay, thanks. Well, dude, uh, as you know, uh, I went out and I cut all those cedar trees on Friday, and I, uh, as I got done cutting all those cedars, I came in and I felt like I got hit by a truck. Like my body was achy, and I was like, "This is so weird." So I got in the shower, like took like the hottest shower, like did a bunch of contrast thinking I'm like, uh, maybe like the cedar, but I'm not allergic to cedar. So when I got all my allergies done, I'm not allergic to it. So I couldn't figure out why uh, I was having this body ache and I just felt shitty and I'm uh, thinking it might be like the coronavirus or maybe it was uh, a flu. So we all went, got tested. Kids were negative. Everybody was negative, negative on the flu as well. And, uh, I still felt bad on like Monday and Tuesday. And then, you know, Matt flew to town and we went hunting turkeys which I probably shouldn't have gone on, but uh, we go hunt turkeys and we're basically walking through like brush and it's all cedar. And I'm like, ugh, ugh. <laughs> and then we go, uh, like, like we go back, we eat lunch and then we go back to get in the stand before, um, you know, like four, five o'clock before, you know, be there for uh, feeding time when the feeders go off, maybe shoot some turkeys, find some pigs. So I'm sitting up in this, uh, in this stand and all of a sudden the wind blows and I look and there's all these cedar trees just blowing dust at me and I'm like, instantly just feeling worse and worse and worse. So I get down out of the stand. Uh, that night, I'm like, oh, I'm not feeling that good. Somewhere in the night, I had this realization like I should have driven my car because if I die in this guy's house, this is going to be really awkward. I want to die at home. That's how bad I felt. And uh, so I, I got on the phone, called Dr. Christie, and I was like, Doc, uh, you know, I know it's not the coronavirus. I know it's not the flu. I'm not allergic to cedar. And she's like, well, you're definitely allergic to mold. And she said that mold actually sits, uh, mold spores sit on the, on the tree branches and like the, uh, the bark and the, the, uh, whatever, like the cedar pieces. Uh, and like, she's like, maybe you got like a huge ingestion, uh, like ingested mold. And this is what you're seeing. So she had, she gave me a bunch of like anti-mold stuff. And I took that and like instantly woke up today and felt like a human being again. I was like, holy shit. Like I, I would have never have thought that one would have taken me down. So, but now you know. Yeah, now I know. Like fucking mold. Do you mask up when you saw? So I do. So now what I think I'm going to do is I think I'm just going to go rent like a like a, a track loader that has like an enclosed uh, like cab that's like sealed with AC and like a filter, and then I'm just going to go out and I'm going to decimate every cedar tree I see. Uh-huh. I'm just going to take it like a personal vendetta oh to like God. get <laughs> rid of every cedar tree on this property. If I can got me. Get some. Oh, dude. Yeah, it's uh, it's been funny, but like, uh, uh, you know, all these people talk about cedar flu and cedar fever and all this. I always thought it was just bullshit. I'm like, ah, people are just being overreactive. And after going through this, I'm like, holy hell. Like, I don't know if it's the cedar or the mold because I know Nate's got cedar fever 
And uh, he was also saying like the mold and some of the issues. But man, that one, um, that laid a smackdown on me. When was the last time you were like sick? Sick, sick? Man, it would have had to have been before the kids were born. Uh, I taught all those seminars. We taught those seminars in Europe and then I flew home and then I flew to Canada to taught a seminar. So we taught like uh, five seminars in three countries in five weeks. And then I flew home and immediately went to Mexico for my buddy Joe's wedding. And in Mexico, uh, I like, I got something that was like in my throat to where my throat like felt like it was going to clog, like close up and I was going to suffocate. And like, finally I'm like, I'm like my darkest moment. I told my, uh, my wife, well, Kate was there, my girlfriend at the time. I was like, you got to call the doctor. And so this like Mexican doctor shows up and I was like dexymethasone. And she literally shot me with cortisone, like, like right in the shoulder and like instantly everything cleared up. Then so. you go right to the party? Yeah. Then I went to the party and drank. <laughs> nice. But yeah, that was the last time I was yeah. uh, sick. Are you supposed to do that? Yeah. Because like, yeah. uh, like the, the whole way I look at it is I'm like, oh. Steroids and alcohol. Yeah. My, my immune system is way strong. So I'm like, it'll battle it. And then I get to the point where I'm like, I'm going to lose this war and I'm going to die in Mexico. And like, dude, I needed, I, I needed that cortisone shot. That cortisone shot. Nobody wants me. to die in Mexico. No. Just like you don't want to die at some dude's house. But yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was a bad deal. I got one for you too, John. We were on a trip with the Olympics out in Dubai, and I came down with something that I thought was going to kill me too. And here we are in the hotel room. I couldn't get out of bed for three days. Three days laying in bed, like muscle aches, weakness, soreness, the whole nine yards. Just, it, it killed me to have to get up and go to the bathroom. So I was like, the coach was actually rooming with me, the head coach at the time, and I asked him, you got to do something for me because I'm sure I'm not going to the hospital out here in Dubai. He hooked me up with one of the Russian doctors. And the only reason why we got in with this guy is because we – essentially worked out a deal with him. He's a big time smoker and can't get Marlboro Reds at all in Russia. Oh. So we brought him over a whole carton of it. Prison deal. Prison deal. Literally a prison deal. So in exchange for these Marlboro Reds, John. The fact that somebody uh, smokes the red apples is unbelievable <laughs> in this day, day, and, uh, day and age. I tell you what though, coach came back that third night with these like horse pill looking things. No label on them whatsoever. He just said, Take two before you go to bed, two in the morning, same thing. I don't know what was in these, in these steroids, but it took it out of me like that. Yeah. Like a million bucks the next day. Wow. No, that's uh, Shady drug deal, though. That's what you need. Uh, Got to make friends with people. Oh, well, yeah. especially that. You're like, can you send me two extras in case this ever happens again? Um, but uh, like, I'll, I'll I was looking for them last night for you. Uh, dude, I would have taken them. I mean, yeah. the, uh, the mold stuff is really fascinating. I mean, uh, you guys have obviously heard you know, on the podcast before where I talked about I had that mold exposure in Kansas City years ago. When I got uh, traded from the Eagles out to the Chiefs and the hotel they put me in, like I was sick every single day that I was in that hotel. And uh, the, my girlfriend at the time that came staying with me, she was like, we got to get the fuck out of here. Like this is like, she feel, was coming down with something. Well, too. yeah, she came in and she was like within like 10 minutes, she's like started coughing and she's like, I feel terrible. What's going on in this place? So uh, and then when I came uh, left, I bought a house still sick. And it was like months later, all of a sudden I was starting to have all those issues. And that's when I got tested by Dr. Tom and found out I had like, you know, toxic levels of every, t every type of mold they tested me for. So there was like, out of like the 13 types, I was like toxic for every one of them, like in the red. How'd you detox yourself from that? Um, Tom gave me a shit ton of uh, antivirals and we did a bunch of like vitamin C IVs. Mm -hmm. So he blasted me with uh, these cocktails Flush your system yeah, out. Yeah, so we did a bunch of IVs, and he gave me all these antivirals. It was like seven uh, packets of pills, which is awful to even say. <laughs> that sounds about right, though. Yeah, I had to take one every hour, and um, it was crazy. Within three weeks, all of a sudden, like my muscle tone came back, my, my, my hair darkened, 
um, like all of a sudden, like my face, like the circles of my eyes went away. It was the craziest thing. Like like overnight, I, I felt myself re- return. What what time of year was this? Were you having to practice and peak and perform while yeah. Yeah. recovering from all this? No, uh, this was after the end of the season. I ended up tearing my hip flexor at the end of the season, and they put me on IR for the end of that year. Um, and uh, thank God, because, dude, I just couldn't physically do it. And, that yeah, that was my first year there, and I think that put me in the hole. So definitely, but yeah, no, I, I came out, I mean, won a starting job, started and played well. And then all of a sudden it was just like the straw that broke the camel's back. And towards the end of the season, I just, we were playing the Patriots. I came to block down on the guy and I tore my hip flexor. And what's funny was I like, I felt it pop. Like I, like I, I felt the pop and I heard the tear and I could feel it instantly. And I came out, I was like, I tore my hip flexor. And they're like, no, you didn't. Nobody tears a hip flexor. And then sure enough, they went and examined it and they're like, oh yeah, no, you tore your hip flexor. It's got a divot. And they sent me in for an MRI. So it was good though. And then I uh, went out to Arizona and that's when I got all that testing done. And uh, man, it was like night and day difference that next year. So it was, uh, but ever since then, I've been super sensitive to mold. And so to have something like this kind of blast me. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, when I got all my allergy testing done, I was never allergic to cedar. So, well, we got, I mean, we got cedar ceilings in the office. Yeah. And what's crazy is I planed all that cedar. I don't know if you remember, but there was like stacks and stacks oh, yeah. of like like piles of cedar uh, uh, dust, and the cedar never has never bothered me. Well, does the cedar make a pollen? Could that be what it is? So what happens is you have male and female cedar trees, and so the uh, females have berries, and then the males mm-hmm. uh, basically have this pollen, and then when the wind blows, it pushes them, and that's how they fertilize the trees. So when you go take a look at like the male and the female, you can obviously tell a difference. I've cut enough cedar trees now <laughs> that I can tell you the male and the female trees. So now I just got to find a new plan of attack to fucking take take the fight to these fuckers. <laughs> uh, I got plenty of cedar trees, John. That you can take uh, reps at. Ah, uh, okay. Well, if if I if I get a piece of equipment, I'll bring it over to your house and just fucking bulldoze the whole back of your Straight. house. Oh yeah, my just god. Brrr. Uh, we'll burn it all. We'll wait for the burn man to turn off. Ah, man, I, um, I, I got all that cedar stacked and I, I'm like, uh, was going to just get like a, like a dump trailer and, um, hire some dudes with a, uh, with a chipper. And now I'm like, mm, I might need to figure a new, another solution to get rid of all that stuff. I got no idea. I got no idea. You could bring that out to Arizona and chop down all the olive trees we got too. Dude, olive trees don't bother oh, me. God, it kills us this time of the year. Yeah. It's the same thing with the, the cedar out here. You get like this olive fever and allergies just run haywire on you. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that one. Yeah. Olive fever. Hmm. Apparently like 99% of the population is allergic to it. I don't know. That's wow. what I hear anyway. They got a lot of olive trees in Arizona, huh? Yeah. I mean, obviously Shockingly, they're like But they're not native, right? Somebody brought them over and they were like an invasive species and just grew all over the place. I actually had uh, my house in Newport Beach. I planted four olive trees. On purpose? Yeah, you know, on purpose. <laughs> yeah, we had it. And the last time I drove by that house, they still have them. So thank God they, they look great. Can you like eat off them? Yeah, they're... Um, Not these ones. Not the ones that we You have. can. I can't remember. There's something, a modification you have to do to make them edible. Because they're these little black things and the birds yeah. like them. But they're not like the big-ass olive ones like you'll see in Italy or Spain or other places that make olive oil. Yeah, not the good ones. Yeah. So, what are we going to talk about on this podcast? Well, I mean, y'all just came back from a turkey hunting... And pigs. <sighs> yeah, and and pigs. yeah, well, it's turkey season here in Texas. Um, and I've come to the conclusion that those big-butted birds with <laughs> tiny brains are some of the most instinctual, interesting animals to hunt. In that uh, you got to call like there is uh, like I thought it'd be way easier. I mean, uh, <laughs> when we hunted turkeys years ago, 
but they, we had decoys. We called them in. We did the whole deal. This time we were on the ground trying to like look for them and kind of move in. And um, I think the problem on that, uh, and Doc, you probably agree or disagree or know more than I do, but uh, I think that there were so many hens on that property that when we were calling them in, they had other options. So, yeah, y'all yeah. were not as attractive. We were, as... we were not as sexy as other hens. Yeah, because that morning where you were feeling like absolute death, we went out and we probably got out there like twenty minutes too late because by the time we walked up to where we wanted to go, we were surrounded by them all gobbling. It was like three hundred sixty degrees of all these family packs all around. And then next thing we know, we hear this real loud one right out in front of us. It was probably like fifteen twenty yards hiding behind a bush. So of course, like we hunkered down and tried to army crawl into position and everything. We're trying to call this guy to get him to come out of the bush. He would not. He was stubborn, stubborn. And the same thing you said about the hens, man, these hens started cackling off in the distance. And that's when he would like hightailed it out of there. He's like, you guys are not sexy enough. Yeah. yeah. But I had, I had the body. I just couldn't get him to poke his head out. It's yeah. a numbers game. It is a numbers well, game. Well, it, it, it's pretty interesting. When, when you yeah. hear like the, uh, the gobbling um, and, you know, obviously uh, we're out there doing the turkey. He's got the turkey calls and like, you know, you're supposed to replicate like a hen. So then you bring in the toms and, uh, you know, you call them and they're supposed mm-hmm. to call back. And uh, the interesting thing is we were calling, we'd hear them call, and then we would hear other hens like cackling in the, I'm like, God damn it. So and you basically, silent, you try to yeah. have a conversation. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's well, cool. So, and Matt, the guy that we were with, we were, thought we were going to outsmart them and try to have a conversation with each other. So I'm on the uh, call. <laughs> he's on his mouth call. Didn't work. Damn it. Didn't work. Yeah, yeah. no, they're pretty smart. They pretty are. Smart. They're smart dudes. They're like, size, brain what? the size of a pea, but they're instinctual. Dude. Yeah. It's, yeah. They knew we were out there to kill them. There's so many of them. That's what I was so pissed about. Yeah, there they're was everywhere. Lot. You couldn't get one close enough. And then uh, so we also we were like, oh, you know, we'll shoot some pigs. I'm always happy to shoot pigs, and we didn't really see any pigs. And then uh, the guy's father-in-law is like, yeah, we just rented helicopters and killed 400 <laughs> pigs from the air. They've been decimated. Yeah, already. he's like, I, I like laughed. I was like, eh, no wonder we haven't seen any pigs. Except for that very first like yeah. five minutes in the woods, we kicked a bunch of them up, and I see John go rogue, jumped out of the. And the side by side started chasing after him with his rifle. I'm oh, like, oh, hop lost out the like already. Yeah, he tuck and rolled and everything. Well, the uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so we were driving. We saw pigs, and the problem though is uh, in the side by side, he had a windshield, mm. and so uh, you know, obviously, you can't shoot through the windshield. They frown upon that. So I jumped out and I saw him going this way. So I thought if I could run, I could like maybe they would stop and I could flank him, and then I just didn't I find him. I think you're playing too much Halo. Uh, but I've chased them. Um, what they'll do is they'll run to cover and then they'll stop. And then they'll move again. Like they just don't keep running. Do they instinctually serpentine? Uh, no, they just run for cover. I mean, but they're pretty smart, especially if they've been hunting them out of helicopters. Those <laughs> things are probably pretty. <laughs> they're a little gun shy at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when he told me that, I was like, uh, I was like, man, where's the helicopter? Can I come back? Can I hunt them out of helicopters? So this this ranch we went to, these people own was it six or seven thousand seven thousand acres? acres? Yeah, it's on the Sansibal River. Like they own like a few miles of river on it. Like it's. It's pretty amazing uh, like to always see those properties and to know that people own that stuff just really blows me away. Yeah. Pretty bitching. There was definitely no shortage of deer either. You know, I was like, yeah. I've been hunting for a very, very long time, from like the age of seven, and I've never in my life have uttered the words, I hope I don't ever see another deer on this hunting trip. Uh, like, it, there are like rabbits everywhere. Yeah, it's like yeah, here in Texas, like especially this hill country, man, uh, deer are like rabbits. They just do. They <laughs> just keep breeding and breeding and breeding. I mean, that's why, um, you know, you got to go out and kill at least five does a year, mm-hmm. you know. Um, in years past, I've always waited to shoot a buck, and then I shoot the does. This year, I'm just going to go shoot all the does first. Get meat in the freezer. Yeah. yeah, but it's just like we have too many. Like even even now, I didn't shoot enough does because I'm seeing like uh, too many old mamas. Like mm-hmm. like you gotta like make 
room for next year's moms by getting rid of the old moms, which I know sounds kind of messed up, but the cleansing. Well, conservation, conservation, conservation. circle of life, circle yes. of life. So we got that, but yeah, thank God I didn't die. Thank God I am feeling better. And uh, I was yeah. proud of you for manning up. And well, I, I thought for sure you were gonna <laughs> bitch out, ghost us. Yeah, uh, the thought went through my mind at four a.m. and then I thought to myself, you know what, fucking, I can't ghost these guys. And then as I was sitting in that stand, I was like, I should have fucking ghosted <laughs> these guys. Well, you made a discovery, John. In your sickness, you've lost the sense of taste. Ah, it's true. So I had uh, a revelation. Yeah, so uh, one of the side effects of like big time mold exposure is it kills your taste buds. That's why actually people mistake some mold exposure for COVID. I read a little bit mm -hmm. on that on the internet. So people were like, I think I have COVID. And then they go get tested, they come back negative like I do. And then that's actually how they're figuring out some mold exposure. So what it did is it somehow, uh, I don't know, polarized or burned or whatever, um, messes with your taste buds. So uh, I went to go eat yesterday, and food tastes awful. Coffee actually just tastes like hot, bitter water, which to me is, is like the saddest moment. I texted my wife, and she just sent me like a sad face. Uh, but I, I honestly think we could fix the obesity problem in this country if we just gave people something that killed their taste buds they wouldn't want to eat. I, I, like like super overly palatable foods that just don't taste the same. Like if that was, if that was a thing, can I we, think, can man. Can we inject it in their arm? Um, I don't know. I think maybe we just have like a uh, like like a shot vac that like shoots air of uh, mold, and we just shoot him in the face. The there's actually a book, and I tried to get this guy on the podcast years ago. I'll pick up the the trail here, but it's called the Dorito effect mm -hmm. in like the taste of Doritos. And this dude theorizes he goes in the history of the Dorito, which is pretty cool. But then theorizes that that science, the taste yeah. that they came up with. Because it was like, all right, we want to take chips and salsa. Yeah, they have food scientists that basically create the most hyperpalatable foods. Right, and that has then that was the one domino, the Dorito effect, the one domino to fall that has led to all these crises. Because you got all these science food scientists coming up with all these different Coke flavors and all this just to aim to, you know, create this food culture that has has ruined uh, America. Well, so that, that's his theory. It's an awesome book. Yeah, uh, Rob Wolf talks about uh, this, this change to super, what does he call it, super high or highly palatable foods, uh, which are designed to get people to overeat. So I think if you just didn't have any taste buds and everything kind of tasted the same, you'd probably be like, I don't really care what I eat. I'm going to eat a rice cake or a Dorito. It all tastes the same. It's just like that creamy white center of the Oreo, too. They've done research and shown that it activates the very same addiction centers in the brain that cocaine does. Hmm. Activates and it like it lights it up like a Christmas tree. Yeah, I don't know anybody that doesn't like an Oreo. Yeah. So my oh, question is, you say cocaine, but yeah, yeah. well, I, I don't kid. know. I kid. Uh, what did Rob, Robin Williams say about cocaine? Uh, it God, smells great. God, God invented cocaine to let you know you've made entirely way too much money. <laughs> Accurate. Yeah, Accurate. I thought that was a great one. Yeah. Uh, my question I, would be like, if you eat that Oreo and you can't taste it, does it still activate the same centers of the brain? No. Uh, I think so. It, no, I'll, I'll tell you because. Um, uh, like the taste of coffee for me is like uh, like a relaxing deal. Like mm -hmm. when you drink it, I'm like, ah. Oh. And I drank it today and I, and I was just like, fuck. Like this just tastes like hot, bitter water. This is the saddest day of my life. And then, uh, and then I was like, uh, do I want to eat anything? I'm like, I'll just have a protein shake. If everything tastes the same, I'm just going to drink a protein shake. Like it's just a, it's a really strange realization. Now what I wonder though is if some people that lose their sense of taste, maybe from like the coronavirus or something, if they just start eating things hoping 
like it'll come back or maybe in their mind they're like ah oh, i'll just sit and eat these chips and then like just keep eating them can you eat or drink like really stringent foods that essentially overcompensate the taste buds then i don't know um i dude i uh we, we ate those burgers those burgers like i was just stoked to eat red meat but um it tasted like just the consistency was fine but it didn't taste like anything well they, they cooked them with cedar wood <laughs> <laughs> well I'm, I'm not allergic to cedar so i don't have a problem with that uh but like even like like it just everything just kind of tastes the same it's a really strange realization that that like that sense i mean obviously the sense of smell is important but the sense of taste like yeah. that's a huge one and i wonder if if part of that obesity where people are overeating is because of that taste and if they could just make everything kind of tasteless and bland if that would be a, a huge deal people wouldn't be as motivated to eat because they're like oh, it doesn't really taste like anything so you've been using food as fuel instead of shocker huh? yeah there's a benefit to both though i think well, here's an interesting question based off your loss of taste experience is this the one sense that you would give up can you still wow. smell mm -hmm. stuff yeah yeah i can still smell i'm fine on that um I would probably give up sense of smell before I gave up sight, touch, hearing, taste, taste, seeing ghosts. No, what's this? There's uh, <laughs> well timed. Uh, how many senses do we have? We five. got five. Yeah, our five. Six basic. is the ghost thing. Yeah, that's right. So the our five basic sense. I probably give up sense of smell. Mm. You didn't want to be like Daredevil. With no your sense of sight. And no be a superhero. No, I dude. Uh, the sense of smell I think would be the best one because then I wouldn't have to smell people's bad breath. <laughs> what are you saying, John? <laughs> no, uh, dude, I am. This is so weird. Like, uh, like the amount of people I've talked to, where I'm like talking with them, and I'm like, these people don't brush their teeth. This person doesn't floss. There's no way this person mouthwash. And so uh, when I go to PT and the guy works, does all the PNF on my shoulder, um, I always like when I walk in, they have a bunch of um, uh, what are they? Um, mints. Yeah, like mints, like the the circle ones with the window greens. Yeah. And they always have them, and I always take one. And the guy's always like, "Why do you always eat those things?" I'm like, "Well, because I'm not going to sit there having you work on me and have bad breath." He's like, "Well, you don't ever have bad breath." I'm like, "Yeah, because I obsessively brush my teeth." But it doesn't mean, you know, the age-old one where if it's like if somebody offers you a mint, take it. I always take a mint. Sign mm -hmm. of respect. Yeah. Oh man, I mean, but just the amount of people I've talked to and been like, "Oh my god," like that's a rough one for me. What about you, Matt? Senses. I don't know. I kind of want to be a superhero. I might go with loss well, of sight. Well, think about um, that might be a like super, as you go. Mover, though. Think about that. Well, think about if you're working on somebody and they have bad breath and they're breathing on you. I'm inoculated to it right now, Ugh, dude. I, feet smell. Well, I was an athletic trainer. Remember, I was an uh, ankle taper, ugh, recovering ankle, ankle taper. <sighs> There's no way. So I've been working around feet my entire life. Yeah, like old, like it. old knee sleeves that have oh, been washed. Ooh. That locker room smell. It yeah. Is, it yeah, is that pungent, such, sharp, oh. pungent, uh, old sweat smell. Yeah. Mm. yeah, it's unique. Yeah. yeah, it's cultivated because there's no windows in a locker room. Yeah. Mm. Well, think about that from a constraint standpoint, though. You lose your eyesight; all the other senses have to heighten. So now you have to rely on touch and your ability to move, right? The proprioception, the kinesthetic awareness. Maybe I'll be a better athlete then. <sighs> yeah, no, I don't think I don't so. Think but yeah, I don't I reach so. in with that? No. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's a real thing. No. Uh, but no, there's got to be yeah, something where if you lose one, the other senses elevate. Well, wasn't Ben Affleck Daredevil? He was. And, and, he, and, and, and he was Batman. How there's nothing ben, he can't how, do. How, I agree. Dude, he's no Tom Cruise. <laughs> oh, I know. I kid. Uh, there but, was a, uh, dude, he plays a great drunk 
in the way back. Uh, what about the town? I thought the town was a great movie. Oh, he, uh, there was a clip, I guess. Um, I forgot where they were, but it was like him and George Clooney were playing softball. And so George Clooney's out there just like hitting dongers and uh, uh, dongers. Uh, just just like totally swinging long, like real long like this. I'm like, what's he swinging his dong? Um, long dongers. Yeah, long dongers. I, I think that's what the baseball dudes in college you'd be like, yeah, dingers. Dude, ding, no, dong. Chick, chicks love the long that's ball. That's what it was, dingers. And I don't know why I was thinking dongers. I don't know either. That's a Freudian slip. Uh, maybe. Uh, you know, uh, so he's, he's hitting dingers. And uh, the best is Affleck is out there trying to like uh, uh, play, do a little infield, and he totally like, runs up to catch it and puts his glove up, and the ball totally flies over his head, and he's like, and he did, he caught nothing. He was absolutely awful with his uh, uh, with a glove, and like um, they were showing the clips, and I was like, dude, I was like, I don't think Ben Affleck could get any worse in this in this moment. Well, that's why he went to acting. But he got two major superhero roles. He got yeah. Daredevil and Superman. I mean, no, I'm sorry, he is, Batman. But Batman. He's, he's like 6'4". So in terms of stature, he he holds the Batman representation. I don't know so, about Daredevil. I don't know anything about the character. He's but. all show muscles, no go muscles, though. Well, I mean, that's their modern-day superheroes, all cartoon, bubbled-up muscles. Probably could happen. Oh, well, Batman? Yeah, I think he's the one superhero that can happen because it's a, just a dude. Uh, yeah, that whole... Uh, I don't know. Uh, the DC stuff is still crappy, but it's getting better. I feel, and I know nothing about comics, that DC has the best bad guys, but then Marvel's got better superheroes. Well, but but they screw up movies. Like you saw Wonder Woman 1984. That was absolutely <laughs> fucking awful. Uh, I love the 80s style and the soundtrack, but then the plot. Yeah, it was awful. Yeah, we watched Not it. We me. were so excited when it came out because uh, the girls liked Batman. Or, sorry, uh, Wonder Woman, the original one. Mm-hmm. And we watched this one, and they were like 10 minutes in. They were like, I'm kind of confused. And then like an hour in, they just were like, just got up and left. I'm like, I'm like, I'm invested in this. I'm going to watch this bullshit to the end. They were just like, get up and like, go do stuff. They're like, I'm not going to waste my time with this. Yeah. Uh, you saw the new Justice League, Matt. I did. That John, I know you don't have four hours. Epic adventure. What is this? The new Justice League is four hours Oh, long. is this the Zack Snyder cut? Is it better? I thought so. Yeah, it was really Oh, really better, good. yes. Yeah, definitely but better. I, I mean, it's good. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to take it over any of the Christopher Nolan Batmans, but it was no, good. Uh, yeah, it was well done, though. Really well done. What was the Justice League one? Was that the one with those like uh, aliens and um, uh, Steppenwolf? Steppenwolf Steppenwolf's in Justice League. Yeah, he's in that one. He's the main villain in that. Yeah. The yeah. CGI. It's amazing. Well, yeah. now it is. Now it is. The first one was terrible. Sucked. Oh, is absolutely it? terrible. Yeah, yeah they no. made some huge improvements. I'm I'm over <sighs> CGI bad guys. I'm just I'm over it. Let's get an actor to just you know embody that. I love the '80s like Total Recall when you actually had to create the thing. Remember with Kurt Russell, they had to make all those monsters. It wasn't computer. Dude, fascinating. I think you're a dinosaur, man. I mean, things are moving that way. That's how people... I mean, uh, sorry, they've already gone that way, but now you're looking for some retro to kind of bring it back. Well, the new Batman starring... Fuck, uh, Twilight guy. The Twilight guy, yeah. the Tenet guy. Excellent. Uh, Nate, help me out. What's um, his name? Robert... Robert Pattinson. 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 Yeah. Pattinson. Dude, he... Uh, Loved him in Tenet. Looking forward to the Batman. But all those bad guys are real people dressed up in costumes. And then it's like a psychological fuck you. That's the more villain person I'm into. Hmm. Like the Batmans. I mean, I'm yeah. um, sorry, like Joker and all that. Yeah. Riddler. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. this shit is pretty good. Yeah, versus the uh, the Thane, Thanos. Thanos. Why is it on every podcast we end up talking about movies? I don't know, John. I mean, as the premier podcast of strength and conditioning, Aang? we should probably talk a little bit about strength and conditioning on occasion. Well, we do have a very switched on, tuned in guest. We can switch gears. Well, let's um, let's wrap a little bit about one of the projects we've been working on yep. here at Power Athlete. Yes, um, we were hopefully planning to crack this out a little earlier in the year, but um, obviously, you know, COVID and a few other issues kind of pushed it into a Q two mm-hmm. instead of a Q one deal, but. Something that we've been beta testing on the back end is uh, a kind of a, we'll just give it a general umbrella of remote coaching. Um, this idea that, uh, you know, there are people, thousands of people following power athlete training systems, you know, people like our good friend who just left a, a question for the hotline, uh, talking about how to return to play and injuries. And even the guy we went hunting with who was, who's uh, been following across mm-hmm. the football power athlete for a number of years, you know, had a foot injury, hooked up with Matt to get, uh, you know, to get it right. Um, but this idea of telehealth that we can influence people more than just programming by actually setting up some time and putting them with seasoned coaches to help them along. So uh, that umbrella remote coaching really has three pieces. There's uh, And Matt's piece is what we call telehealth, which is individuals that are in pain that need to get better um, or looking to, you know, come back from something, um, you know, not just gains, but looking for pain. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I mean, you've been doing this for, for a long time, yeah, for a long, long time, time now, but it was really interesting when all the COVID stuff started to happen. I had the force. I was like, how am I going to transition my practice? I wasn't going to see people. I didn't know if I was going to see people in person anymore. Um, which is, which was really interesting because I've been doing the remote programming for a while now, but it was just kind of like as a side hustle side gig thing. And when COVID happened now, it turned into a full-time deal. And I actually had PTs reach out to me via Instagram and email and everything. They're like uh, Ricky Bobby, Talladega Nights. Like, I don't know what to do with my hands. All these PTs were freaking out. They, they're so used to this hands-on model to help people feel better, which is a great way to desensitize pain, but it's not helping people for the long run with improving their movement capacity and their movement literacy. Um, so what I decided to do was actually transition into full-time remote programming, remote coaching, remote telehealth uh, for clients where we implemented this model. The purpose of it was to be able to impact as many people as we can across the world. And I got clients from Australia, Europe, you name it. We got them all over the place. And uh, it's a great system. So I understand that movement is the key. And I understand what I'm seeing from a movement standpoint as far as where the limiting factors are and how the body's impacting with the with the ground, through the foot and the ankle, and using that really as the lens um, to view movement through. And what we do is end up sending them a bunch of videos that they have to replicate of movement patterns, send back to me, analyze them, jump on a Zoom call, go through an assessment, and then we develop a plan of action and talk through how we're actually gonna implement it for like a, a 12, 12 weeks, six months, whole year long deal. And we've got guys and girls running the gamut on that one. But, nice. Yeah. Do you think if COVID hadn't happened that you would have moved to this model or did you, or like even if COVID didn't happen, would this model have kind of eventually got to the position it's at? I think it was a nice catalyst. Yeah, I think I was eventually moving that way anyway because of all the travel that I do with the Olympics. I wanted to be able to scale my business that didn't require me trading a lot of time for money, hmm. right? So those one-on-one sessions. That's a good way to put it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So from a business standpoint, it made a lot of sense. Yeah, you could like, work with more people. Work with more people. And then the, the cool part about that is somehow started gaining a following <laughs> of other PTs and strength coaches that wanted to learn what I was doing. So there was the need then to develop a mentorship program to start training other coaches and rehab professionals to essentially view movement the way that I do. And now we got a nice little team going. Nice. Yeah. Another, Sweet. Yeah. Another great way to, to scale the business and impact more people. 
change lives. So that uh, under that umbrella of remote coaching, we actually have telehealth, and then we have what Tex and I have have been working on. Uh, we've been doing both telecoaching and then telestrength. Uh-huh. So uh, we've done both on on those. Where um, I've had people come to me. Um, you know, my most recent client had a. Uh, you know, ex-military guy in law enforcement, obviously listens to the podcast, so he'll know who I'm talking about, but he had tore his pec and all of a sudden got stuck in a weird movement pattern where he was bringing uh, his elbow in and then he was doing pull-ups. He couldn't engage his lat. Compensation, we get and, that, yeah. And, and so watching him do it and seeing the problems and then going through, you know, helping him adjust the programming and then going through and actually dropping in on his training sessions to actually coach him through this stuff mm-hmm. uh, was super impactful. And I think the amount of distance that we could cover uh, it, within those, you know, 30 minute sessions mm-hmm. was like something that it would have taken me, you know, months to necessarily cover just in terms of written program. Cause you can see things in real time and it was kind of neat to be able to drop in on that. So, I mean, that's obviously the one piece with the tele, uh, like the tele coaching and then the tele strength, which Tex has been working on. Yeah. That, and tele strength, imagine that I am a, a Jack street athlete and the beauty of Jack street, especially with the, the current program we got going on the shadow Oh, yeah, the shadow. Yes. An individual in their garage, you don't have a spotter, you don't have a coach's eye, you may have your own little personal mirror, not a full-blown, awesome Globo Gym mirror, but some way to see your movement, it's still not enough. And where John creates this narrative of what to internally think about when I'm lifting, it still doesn't have that coach's eye touch. So my boy Chris that I'm working with in terms of the tele tell us strength we're dialing in and i'm almost teaching him how to think when it comes to a a bodybuilder style i'm also watching his shadow sets and this is he he can't say enough compliments about this because we got our 10 we got our six and our four build-up sets ready getting ready for that shadow set john which i'll let you explain in one moment but then i'm saying all right let's hit this for this for 10 all right barbell we all strongest men in the start strongest men in the world start with barbell so do we. We begin with the barbell, then we hit a light, and then we work up until I communicate, hey, how that feel? That's a working set of 10. Then we decide the weight for six, decide the weight for four, and then coach him into a position where we're hitting a heavy 10. We're hitting our two to four minutes rest and saying, hey, let's, let's put 40 on there. Let's fucking go for it. Yeah. And then, so that is a way that he may necessarily go overconfident and screw up that that shadow set or not go heavy enough in the warm-up to be ready ready for the fight uh, yep. so explain the shadow set quickly john for our people yeah. on jack street so we have um like our shadow prep which is really just warm-up sets so i mean I, as you know i don't program warm-up sets but i feel like especially for the shadow stuff where we're doing like one set to failure that it uh would behoove me to program the warm-up set so i just call it prep and um i want to i want to hit a a set of 10 hit a you know eight to six you know then four to six somewhere in there uh of the warm-up sets and then obviously um i put in this acclimation phase i want you to hit a heavy set of 10 and then i want you to do max reps and i purposely left it kind of vague because i was interested to see how people would attack it and uh (laughs) yeah as you'd expect yeah and uh it it was really interesting because some people were hitting their heavy 10 and then keeping the same weight and then getting like 16 reps, which I thought was funny. Whereas um, the way that I was expecting it to be done, or at least, and I purposely left it vague on, because I wanted to see how people were doing it. But the cool piece was uh, some people weren't adding weight to the bar, which was not as expected. 
but then people were adding weight to the bar and then a few people were getting like seven and eight reps and then the problem was they were like asking they were like did i do it wrong and i'm like no actually you were the only one that did it right mm-hmm. so i think it was pretty interesting just seeing how people plan of attack uh this next week that's coming up is going to be very very similar and um, I know uh, in the schizophrenic world of, of uh, online programming, people have to feel that every single day is different. It's not. Uh, they are going to get a pretty good repeater within this deal because uh, it's set. Like, I'm obviously going to adjust some stuff, but I'm interested to see what they learned last week and how they transitioned it into week two. Yeah, and a remote coach, literally somebody observing your training and help guiding the the weight selection, the coaching movements, the cues, the direction for you to execute these movements as they were intended within John's mind. So we talk about bedrock, we talk about Jack Street, Field Strong, in which those would be very beneficial. But then our programs like Grindstone, Lean Enable, where we have people who may not be as experienced or they're getting up there in age, hell, that coaches I can really come in handy. And I also had experience early on in our experiment with this with teenagers, freaking dads that are out there that want, they have the beautiful garage gym that they set up for themselves. Now their sons and daughters are ready to explore the barbell. They were my first two remote coaching clients to then teach this kid from a freaking computer or phone how to execute squat, step, lunge, bench press, and all the good stuff that they didn't trust their middle or high school coaches to educate and flying flying success and the the whole goal with that that clientele is to set them up and set them free that then they can follow bedrock on train heroic once they understand all right here's my setup execution and hell we can check back in when that starts to get heavy around reset time so two different formats two different populations but the same resource that we provide the opportunity hell genetics geography and opportunity we're cutting geography out because we're going virtual yeah i mean the the amount of people i've seen train um you know post videos and see this stuff like just small little things that they're doing wrong and it's funny because i I get tagged by a dude all the time on instagram and when he squats heavy i say the exact same thing to him carry the bar lower Uh, he carries it way too high on his neck when he gets to the bottom it ends up tackling him forward and he get he loses all his momentum out of the bottom and then he has to grind it out. I'm like, drop the bar lower and catch some bounce. And uh, it's funny because he sent me a video and I said that to him and then he sent me another video like three months later and I said the exact same thing to him and he's like, and then the funny part was he screen crapped it and he's like, yeah, that's what you said to me three months ago. And I was like, you still didn't make the fucking change. Did you implement? No. And he's like, yeah, I know I need to carry it lower. I'm like, then what's the problem? Just do it. Uh, you know, well, they need you literally there live to, to crack that whip on. Them. Uh, yeah. Uh, or, or people just get into this like comfort pattern, but it, it, like, it looks extremely uncomfortable, like seeing people at the bottom and that sheer is just pulling them forward. They lose all that speed and momentum and it literally tacos them at the bottom and then they have to like somehow fight out of it, which looks like a dog shitting a razor blade. Oh. And I'm like, uh, every time I see it, um, but you know, carry the bar at the base of the traps and some of these things. But I think that's, what's really neat about doing this remote coaching, remote strength, whatever, uh, people get stuck in these bad movement patterns Mm -hmm. and they just need somebody in real time to correct, uh, correct them and help them get past it. And that's what I was going to add in real time. We do have people post videos to the feed and we're able to give them feedback, but it is not quick enough to the lift for them to make as big of as improvement as possible. With the Train Heroic video where they just post the video and we can reply, 
how I approach that is, is correcting the setup because I know giving them a cue at that moment in time, it's, it's not going to do anything. So with that, I aim to correct the setup, but then truly with this remote coaching, man, that's where we really can crack the bone and, and put them in a position to execute. So we got some kick-ass testimonials coming from the clients we're working with that they can express in their own words the value of this experience. And that's the beautiful piece about all this remote coaching stuff of putting people into good positions. It makes the coaching really, really easy. Because at the end of the day, muscles are really stupid. And there's way too many PTs that I see out there doing this. We're so, we gotta confuse them, dude. so, so focused on muscle activation. Confusion. Muscle oh. activation, though. Like, we gotta make the glute, we gotta make them feel the burn of the glutes. Come on now. Like, we don't, we know that that is not leading to improved performance. You're just feeling the lactic acid burn up and the muscles are in a short range. Lactate. Nerve, lactate. Lactate. Yeah. yeah. And the nervous system is freaking out in that position. It's essentially telling you, I'm being, you're being an idiot right now. Stop this shit. Um, but the, the cool part about the position is we know when we put the joints into a good position, the muscles are going to respond the way that we want to. And that's a beautiful piece about this. It's empowering, right? Because at the end of the day, we had these conversations all the time during our initial assessments. It's like, I'm not going to fix you. You have the power to fix yourself. The term doctor actually means coach, teacher, educator. That's what I am, right? So I'm going to educate you to the nth degree about how your individual body moves based on your measurements and your anthropometrics and your past conditioning and your environment and your training that have led you up to this injury or this pain experience. And now you can watch yourself move at a better pace, better movement patterns and start to watch the pain actually melt away. Mm. So you're saying that better movement equals less pain. Shocker. Well, wow. better movement means more safety to the brain. Mm. Right? Mm. Safety and security is the name of the game with all this. Well, yeah, because pain is just an, uh, like an output. Just it's information. Just, yeah, it's just, just information, information coming out. But it's, it's amazing how we're all of a sudden pain, um, you know, like almost creates guardrails where mm -hmm. like, uh, if this hurts, I'm not going to do that. But then all of a sudden, then you get to the point where you just start eliminating things to when now you can't do anything. Yeah. So now we t start taking away movement instead of giving people more opportunities to explore movement. And that, that's the key, right? It's this movement, uh, movement variability and this variety that the nervous system likes. Right. Yeah. So if you're feeling pain, my, my favorite though is uh, all the, like the one-sided pain presentations. It's like you get one-sided. Explain. So let's just say like one-sided hamstring issues or one-sided low back or one-sided hip problems. And it's like, oh, it hurts when I'm walking. And that's the only side that bothers me when I'm lifting or squatting. It's like, you have two legs, right? So why does the other side feel that way? Think about that question for a second. Well, like it's, same it's usually uh, what I think is um, a lot of times when you see injuries like that, it's because of something, there's dysfunction on the other side. And then the one that becomes injured where you start having pain is because it's overworked. Mm -hmm. Um, like, uh, you know, it's never the weak hamstring that, that pulls. It's always the hamstring that's actually the healthier, stronger one that's compensating for the other injury that ends up pulling, yeah. you know, so. Nailed it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it's, it's this overcompensation idea, yeah. which was, um, it's really interesting. Speaking of overcompensation, I just had the opportunity to go work with our Olympic skeet shooters. So if anybody doesn't know what skeet is, it's like extremely fast clay targets flying at like 65 miles an hour across a field and you're shooting them with shotguns. Um, it is an Olympic sport along with trap. Uh, for the shotguns and rifle and pistol. And I, I love it. I get to go out there and shoot with them and everything. It's a great time. But I was talking with one of our three-time gold medalists. And when he coaches his own athletes, it's we're talking about this idea of overcompensation. right? And when I'm coaching movement, I'm taking people into ranges of motion that are over-exaggerating the patterns and the positions that we want them to perform in the gym or out in the field so that the brain can now say, oh, we have all of this available to us. And eventually what will happen, it's like a pendulum swinging. 
mm-hmm. you'll swing back and forth and you'll eventually find your new center point of balance because the problem is most people are used to moving in one small little area movement possibilities and when you expose them to these greater ranges the, the brain knows how to self-organize hmm. and self-regulate so i was out there shooting and i, I only shoot um, american trap and skeet so these targets moving like 35 miles an hour so you double that it's the hand-eye coordination is, is unbelievable and uh i was put on station seven that's irrelevant but uh, essentially the birds coming at me and then away from me and those birds are moving so fast you have to get both of them in 1.7 seconds wow that's how quick you need to be and my first shot completely missed shot underneath it and one of the athletes back there told me i missed underneath it so what do you think happened the next time you shot over shot, shot over. over top of it yeah. overcompensated of course and then every single shot after that on the money dusting them nice. beautiful and it's like ah oh, look at that dot connection that's amazing like the, the idea of the sport performance stuff moving into all the movement correction analysis that i'm doing is just kind of validating in a sense that like it's mm-hmm. it's out there like everybody's doing it and now we're kind of bringing it all together well, and also accelerates the buy-in yes, yes. for your team and your athletes. It's not just the head coach telling, hey, listen and do what Dr. Zana says. The athletes are now asking for, hey, what would you see there? What can I do? Please help. Trust well, piece. It's confidence. At the end yeah. of the day, athletes just want to be better. And especially in the Olympic thing, like the oh, margins yeah. are so small so. that if somebody can give them some information that's useful, uh, I think that goes a long way. And then it's it, – but um, – it's got to be somebody they trust or somebody that they believe has their interest best at heart and then be able to progress that. Well, I will add on that. You are correct, John, especially in the garage gym training culture that I feel Power Athlete has created with our programs. Field Strong, Bedrock, Jack Street, all of these attract the right person that is training solo, aiming to get better, and they're leaning on sound programming. But then, hey, you're here for one, two, three years. There's an opportunity for you to level up. Still with the trusted source, it's not searching and seeking out a different program. It's getting our eyes on you to then put you in the best position for you and your body and then help you select the right loads according to how you're executing the movement pattern and then, hell, putting you in a position to regain your confidence in your movement and then, hell, set you free to get back on that program. But now you know what true movement setup execution feels like coaching cat squats live one-on-one totally different experience than communicating it through a a narrative we can only get you so far but feeling fast and having the feedback of a coach where hell we know what speed of the barbell looks like sounds like and feels like personally now our aim is to communicate that live let me ask you this text question text have you shifted or changed any of your coaching strategy between in-person and online? No, because I, I, similar to you, would lean on movement. And how I would define these, and John, we talked about this, would be a movement solution. So seeing yeah. an execution in the squat, a fault in the squat. Well, we do do the same stuff. I mean, if there's an execution or there's a fault in the squat, we have other ways to teach people to squat right. than just the squat. So I'm then going yeah. to explain further. Imagine we're intra-set. So we're hitting our squat. We would do our specific warm-up, a specific warm-up for the squat, dead bugs, seesaw walks, a Spider-Man that would piece apart a squat, and then the squat with a weight is is a way to put it back together. But now I've seen you do one, two, three warm-up movements. I've seen your barbell. Now Matt hits his, his his heavy set of five working set. Between that, we're not going to just say, hey, two minutes rest and hang out here virtually. Yeah. And talk about, hey, how was your day? 
No, I would provide a movement solution. Say it is a seesaw walk, but I'm coaching up his feet. Here's how I would ask you to press your big toe down. All right, we're seeing some shift in your hips on your seesaw walk. You're externally rotating, meaning instead of hips flat like a push-up position, they're tilting on our single leg movement. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to internally rotate or align that forwards, but think about pressing the big toe and how's that feel on your hamstring? Awesome, so let's hit one, two, seesaw, right, left, and let's get back under the barbell. It would be the same action and tension of loading of the hamstring that I'm looking for in our power athlete back squat, but I'm still coaching at the feet as I would a seesaw walk. So the, the other thing, Tex, is, um, and you, you hit it perfectly, is a lot of times what I see is when all people do is barbell or bilateral squat, especially if we're teaching them, uh, I think that I see it like a, I guess it's like a down regulation or a degeneration of the movement. So what I like to do is in between sets, put them in some like cross patterning unilateral movements and all of a sudden the quality of which they're doing and Cal Dietz mm -hmm. um, called and he actually said the exact same thing to me and I'm like, yeah. And so he uses like a in between just squats, mark. they'll do like a yeah, marches or reverse hyper, you know, some cross patterning just to, to improve the quality. So I started using that with the clients where, hey, here's your head, your compound, you know, bilateral movement. Now we're all of a sudden going to do some cross patterning unilateral movements, mm -hmm. like you said, like a seesaw walk, uh, some form of, uh, you know, uh, you know, dead bug or just something that takes them out of that plane of motion and puts them into a different one. Uh -huh. And it almost improves the movement dramatically on the next set. Big time. And through where I'm trying to remember it was, this was it. So in super training, this talks about exactly this, and we... It is, that, is that where we got this? It, well, originally, but here's the beauty of having friends like Cal Dietz. It's almost a, a, a affirmation or... A, a well, we've been doing that for years. I know. So because, I mean, we saw this at the CrossFit Football Seminar. Yep. Yeah. So in super training, quickly, it's simply leveling abilities, and there's a whole section that breaks down, and they have a, a beautiful diagram and map. But then when Cal Dietz just comes in with a simple, his observation from his high level world-class athletes. I thought you were going to say his high horse, his, his, his ivory tower. From no. his high horse, from his ivory tower. Well, some would say that. I, I have nothing but pleasant things to say about I do experiences like hanging out with, with Mr. Dietz, yeah. your coach. So just the, we came to a similar conclusion from the thousand, literally thousands yeah. of athletes that we've had the opportunity to both work with. And now through virtual programming, we're able to piece it together, but set it free truly in the expression as it's intended as if we're in person but remotely what i love about that that beautiful piece that you talked about that two minutes in between the sets and you're coaching there you're helping develop that level of conscious awareness in the athlete so now we're taking their movement patterns and putting intention behind them mm -hmm. and that i think is the biggest gift that we can give athletes is this level of attention and conscious awareness so they can actually feel into their body and now they're able to self-organize self-regulate when they're not training with us Right. It's, it's a beautiful piece, especially with the, uh, the whole pain situation as well, because now we have athletes who figure out, oh, my God, I could get myself out of pain really quickly just by changing my own movement patterns up. And now the brain takes that seriously, like it likes good movement and we make it permanent that way. It's amazing. The long term ramifications that come from that. Yeah. And it, it's that education and ownership mm -hmm. of movement. That would be your goal as a, a PT and assistant to these shooting athletes because they're going to go off on tournaments without you. Mm -hmm. But they trust in the, the movement that you taught them to say, all right, between, oh, that was off in my warm-ups. I'm going to do X, Y, Z, dead bug, yada. And now I'm going to aim to get it leveled. Similar to our garage gym athletes, mm -hmm. 
if they experience the the voice of the wellborn or the block one coach to get them right, hey, between this set, instead of just sitting here and, and thinking, oh, that was crap, no, I'm going to do this movement to help me level my abilities to get back underneath the barbell and fucking crush it. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we've seen this with PAP. We've seen it with uh, French Contrast. Uh, so those I mean, are we've, programming yeah. tricks, too. Yeah. But then it's still, man, nothing I mean, beats that coach's eye. But that, yeah. I mean, but at the end of the day, if <sighs> this is the hard thing about training, and even if you video yourself, there's nobody coaching you in real time. Mm-hmm. So that's what I really liked about zooming in and you know doing these coaching sessions because you can start saying these little nuances like, hey, during the set, I saw you do this. I want you to fight for this. And then when they, or where they see something where they can't do it, now all of a sudden you have your coaches, I guess you could say your arsenal available to be like, okay, you can't do X. Let's try this, this, and this, and this, and these things, and then progress them back. And uh, unfortunately, um, unless I'm seeing it in real time, I can't you know, solve that equation. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's been really, really enlightening and fun. And I think um, when I look at you know, the growth of the programming of the power athlete, I think that this piece becomes the fundamental piece where like, hey, people come in, they want to do a generalist program, they want to get better, they, if they feel they're not getting better, they need to invest a little bit more in themselves and a little more into you know, hiring a coach you know, and basically going through these sessions and seeing if that can improve their movement. Yeah, and the, the objective, similar to how Matt explained it, is to get you to learn about yourself so we can set you free. We don't want to keep you on the line, no, the old no, school personal no, training no, model. We just wanted like a uh, little buff and shine, get you back out there, let you get out there and play with the kids. A little pat on the butt virtually. That, that's why it's so cool to actually video all the movements. Every week I had them send me movements in because, you know, in real time when you're training kind of blinders on sometimes, you can't really notice the progress that you're making. And pain is really tricky, right? Pain and function aren't linear together, right? So that you could have... Uh, up and down days. There are some days where you could be moving really well, you're in a lot of pain. Other days where you have no pain, you're moving like dog shit. Would and you say pain is a sense? Would you say that that, ooh, that, that, would, that might be considered a sixth, sixth sense? sense? Because, I mean, like, think about it. Like, we have, um, you know, taste, smell, uh, eyesight, hearing, and uh, touch. But wouldn't pain, pain might be another one. Because think about like, what if you didn't have any pain? Well, there, there is a. Well, there are people that don't experience pain. Those who don't live very long, either. <laughs> so yeah, you don't yeah. know you're because yeah, bleeding. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we want to experience it. I don't know if I would maybe call it a sense because it's all those senses that play into how we interpret pain. So mm. I think it's more of a conditioned response than anything else. So it's an output, not it's an, output. an input. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us on Power Athlete Radio. Yeah. Bye. 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 Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!